Bible experience. And over a hundred of us are reading through the New Testament together over these weeks. And I'm really proud of you. And we're highlighting the importance of God's Word, getting it into our lives, reading Scripture, not, not just in isolation, not on our own, not little bits and pieces, but large sections of Scripture, reading it together. And we're encouraging you to read and to reread because it's so important for us to be connected and to stay in God's Word. And we've learned that Jesus is the Word, Right? And we need to get Jesus inside of us. And today, as we kind of track through the the service, there's three kind of primary goals that I want to try to accomplish, three different things that hopefully will tie together. And so I want you to track with me. The first thing is we're going to talk about is why we need to read God's Word and why is it important, number one. Number two is how does Scripture describe itself? We've been tracking and looking at different ways that that Scripture describes itself. We've talked about the daily bread, the water, the breath of life, those things, and we're going to expand on that. But then the third, and we're going to kind of close and tie tie together, we're going to look at what Matthew said. Uh, Many of you read Matthew this week in its entirety, and some of you, that's the first time you've read Matthew um, in such a short amount of time, and I just want to say... you're doing awesome. Keep it up. And if you haven't been tracking with us, pick it up this week. And don't try to make it up what you've missed. But this week, let it be God's word to you. And we're going to see God continue to do some awesome things in each of our lives. Now, the first thing, why is it important for us to read and to reread Scripture? This year alone, I've read Matthew three times. I read it early on uh, as part of the Bible reading that we're doing again. I read it uh, last week, and then I read it again this week, and just asking and say, why would you need to read the same thing over and over and over? Because it's different from any other book that you possibly could ever read. Do you believe that? And you say, well, okay, it's important to read it, But can't we just listen or read different commentary about it and kind of get the gist of it? Or you might ask the question, why not just listen to your favorite preacher and kind of whatever they say, you know, whether it's Joseph Prince or James McDonald or Joyce Meyer or Ben Vey, maybe. You just listen there. But why would we encourage you to read it yourself? Because it's important. If you don't read it yourself, and get the Word of God, get Jesus inside of you, there's danger of misinterpretation, whether it's intentional or unintentional. You could add to Scripture. Someone else could, their commentary could add to Scripture or take things away, not getting the full, full gospel. And the result is that we can get away from actually the Word of God, get away from Scripture and be looking and saying, okay, believing what man says as God's Word. And, it, and that, there's a real danger there. In fact, um, I want you to turn with me to two places, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, 16, and 17, and then also Genesis 3, which should be on the same page or right next to it. And there was some interesting thought on this, um, on these passages uh, by a guy named Marcus Brecom, uh from out of Texas, a pastor, that I, uh, that I heard some commentary on this particular idea of why it's important for us to read God's Word and to read it individually. And I, th- I, w- I couldn't pass by it. I said, boy, that's so good. I want to share that. And uh, so just quickly, if you can track with me, what's interesting, let's read Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 
first. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free. Everyone say free. free. To eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. This is God talking to Adam. It's before Eve was created. Eve was created just right after that. We see that. And he's free to eat. There's freedom. It's unlimited. He could eat anything in the garden except one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Because what happens here, as you kind of look here, and I want you to notice for understand first, is that Satan cannot war against God. He cannot attack God. It's impossible. He will not win. But Satan can attack God's word and the interpretation of his word, and he can attack us. He can attack God's children. And see what happens here. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than the other wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, putting doubt... And he quotes what God said, word for word. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Or he twists it. I'm sorry. He twists it. And then the woman said to the serpent, No, we may eat of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, what's different about what Eve said that God said to Adam than what God said to Adam. She added a little phrase, and you must not touch it. And what's interesting is that's not what God said. Look back at Genesis 2. He says, you are free to eat any of the trees, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, when you eat of it, you will surely die. He doesn't say anything about touching it. <laughs> Marcus, in, his, in this uh, uh, commentary, he says, boy, you could take the fruit, Play with it, kick it around, put it on the table. It doesn't say you can't touch it, but with the moment you eat of it, you will surely die. And what's interesting is that when you look at this, first of all, Satan he brings doubt, he twists, he twists what God says, he confuses it. And in verse 3, Eve adds to it. Where did Eve get the word? From Adam. But Eve confused the word. The point is, if you only get God's word from other people, from other commentary, other preachers, and you don't eat it yourself, you don't read it for yourself, it will be confused. If the only place you're getting God's word is once a week here on Sunday mornings, I mean, we're thrilled about that. But that's only one meal, one drink, one breath. Let me say this. You are in trouble. God's word is meant to be digested each and every day. Why is it so important? It's a matter of life and death. It created, in Adam and Eve's situation, that confusion caused them humanity, sin nature. Test the scripture. Look at what I say. 
Say, is that really what God's word is saying? The challenge this series is to know God's word, to memorize it, to share it. And again, I'm proud of you. Many of you are tracking with us and we're taking God at his word, the daily bread, the water of life, the breath of God, and we're digesting and we are growing and that's exciting. And I just want to say, keep it up. There's two words um, that I wanted to kind of, that I felt like the Lord gave me. Number one is keep it up. Don't stop, and then if you haven't started, start. <laughs> this week, get into Hebrews, get into James. I don't have the, the list in front of us, but we've got some great reading ahead for this week, and I want to encourage you to do that. Now, why is it important? Because it's, so, it's a matter of life and death. Now let's move into that second part for this morning. How does Scripture describe itself? We've seen that the God's word is breath, is, is a breath and water and bread. But turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we see God's word described as the sword of the Spirit. It's a sword. Listen to what it says. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it continues that thought. It says, in the, as Paul is describing the, the Christian armor that we all need, he describes an offensive, an offensive piece. He says, take the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of of God. It's an offensive piece in the armor of God. It's used in hand-to-hand combat. When we talked about uh, this whole series last, uh, last summer, the, the armor of God, we, it's not talking about a, this ginormous sword that you can barely hold and barely, barely carry. It's talking about a short knife that the Roman soldiers would have been trained and it would become second nature, easily accessible. It's the only weapon that could be used in close hand-to-hand combat. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and Paul relates all of that to God's Word. Think about it. God's Word is offensive. It's hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. It's easily accessible if we memorize it, if we read it, if we know it. It's the only thing we can use when the Satan is attacking in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the word of God there is actually, in the Greek, is a rhema word, a spoken word of God. And that's different from John chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh. The word there is logos, meaning the written word of God. But church, If you want the devil to be defeated, the word of God, the rhema word, must be on your lips at home and at school and at work with your kids, with your spouse, with your neighbors. And if it's not on your lips, the spoken word of God, the rhema word of God, if it's not on your lips, you're like a soldier without a weapon. No power, no authority 
over the attacks of the enemy. And the reality is, is life is a series of adventures, and I would include of battles, opposition from the enemy, Satan, strongholds. He messes with our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes at times. He slips in bitterness and anger and rage. Or maybe he, he uh, you know, takes your finances and just whips it around and, and causes all kinds of destruction. Or maybe he attacks us physically with, uh, with disease or sickness or different ailments. Church, the only authority over Satan that we have is God's Word. No matter what he throws at us, God's word has an answer. His spoken word, the rhema word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. It's like a machete. It's a powerful tool in our hands. And the truth is, is that Satan knows logos. He knows the word, the written word of God, doesn't he? He knows it better than I do. He probably knows it better than anyone here. Satan knows Logos, but he must respond to Rhema. He must respond to the spoken word of God. The sword of the Spirit will protect us. It's powerful, Hebrews 4.12. It penetrates into joints and marrow. It, it's effective. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. Jesus is the word, and there's power and authority that comes when we digest it daily. The importance of it is life and death. And we can't underestimate the sword of the Spirit. Now I want to move on to the third piece, and really the kind of the most important piece for this morning probably, is our assignment in Matthew. In Matthew, Jesus establishes his authority. I want you to see a theme here of authority and power of God's word and Jesus establishing his authority. Matthew highlights it better than any of the other gospels. It's riddled throughout scripture. Matthew establishes, as he's writing this gospel, he establishes Jesus' authority. And it's really, really powerful. If you've been tracking with us, and maybe you've got your, uh, the books of the Bible, New Testament, that we've been reading out of, you can track in that way. Or I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures here in just, in just a moment. But in the commentary, at the beginning of, uh, of Matthew, uh, there's some neat things that are kind of said that kind of set the stage for Jesus, his authority being established. It says the book of Matthew is the account of the life and the teaching of Jesus. We know that. Um, another thing it says here, it says this book uses the combination of literary forms to show that God is fulfilling his ancient promise to Israel through the life and the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. And the last thing I want to point out is that Jesus is the true Israelite and the long-awaited Messiah. Now, again, it's one thing to read commentary and say, okay, I believe that, but it's another thing to dig into God's Word, and that's what we're going to do, is we're going to look and we're going to see how God does that. What we're seeing here, what we're going to see, is Jesus is describing through His Word, through Matthew, it's a proof text saying Jesus is who He says He is. On pages 2... 
241 through 242, we read the genealogy of Jesus, explaining where Jesus came from. He's building a case, saying Jesus is God. It's a fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. He is who he says he is. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, on page 242, you can turn there with me, uh, Matthew 117. Listen to what it says. It says, and thus, this is at the end of the genealogy, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. So he goes all the way back to Abraham, Father Abraham, from 14 generations, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to, ba- to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. He's making sense of all of the Old Testament, uh, bringing from Abraham all the way to the Messiah. Then we go in, we read from Matthew 1, 18 through 3, 17, we read the birth narrative. And within the birth narrative, on many occasions, again, it's referring back to the Old Testament, bringing highlight to what the Old Testament prophets said about the Savior and, and Matthew doesn't miss that. Let's, let's look at one example in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He says this. says, all this took place. Why? To fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That refers to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And some people are like, you know, hey, we don't call Jesus Emmanuel, do we? Maybe you do. But what it is, what Matthew is showing, it's that Jesus is the fulfillment of that, that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he tracks from the genealogy through the birth narrative. On page 244, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we see the baptism of Jesus. And again, uh, the building the case saying, Jesus, who is he and what kind of authority does he have? As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. Awesome. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son. Again, saying, Look, if there's any question, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Pretty awesome how Matthew is tracking. Turn with me to page 253 or to Matthew chapter 9. Verses 1 through 8, again here, we're talking about authority and power. Jesus steps into the boat, cross over, and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralyzed man laying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, at this moment, he tells this paralyzed man that his sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, they go nuts. At this, the teachers in the law, you know, the teachers of the law, and they said to themselves, This guy is crazy. He's blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? Then he says something really powerful. But I want you to know, and Matthew captures this, that the Son of Man has authority. That word can be translated authority or power. 
authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Again, Matthew's tracking. We look at Matthew chapter 10, the next uh, scripture. You can flip right over to the next chapter. Again, authority and power. Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him and gave them what? Authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and every sickness. So not only does Jesus have the authority, at this point he's saying, I'm giving you authority. He's giving us, his disciples, and he, and he gives us that same authority. A couple other scriptures we won't read, but in, on page 256, Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, we see John the Baptist asking his disciples, he sends his disciples to Jesus and saying, hey, are you the one that we've been praying for, that we, that's a fulfillment of Old Testament? And they came back with a good report saying, look, the, the dead, or the, uh, the people are being healed, and the evil spirits are, have left, and John the Baptist, because of that report, was willing to give his life in prison because of who Jesus was. Page 266 in your book, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, again, establishing authority. Um, It's an interesting uh, section of scripture. Uh, Turn with me there, Uh, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. It says this, says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he says to his disciples, but who, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter recognizes who Jesus is. And Matthew captures that. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, and remember a few weeks ago, the rock represents Christ. On this rock, on Christ, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, a transfer of power because of who Jesus is. You track with me, okay? We got a few more that I want to look at. Just uh, just three more, and then we'll wrap up. And I want to spend some time reflecting on on these verses. Matthew chapter seventeen, page two sixty seven. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders that came. Uh, came to him, and he said this, by what authority are you doing these things? Again, they're asking about what power, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven 
or from earth or from human origin. The Pharisees discussed it among themselves and said, if we say heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we'd say, why are you afraid of people? Uh, for, For they all hold that John was a prophet. So Jesus answered him, we don't know. Or they answered Jesus, we don't know. And then he said to him, neither will I tell you by what authority, or that same word power, by what power am I doing these things? All right, two more. In Matthew chapter 21, we see Jesus. He goes in, he clears the temple. And then in verse 23 and in verse 24, did I just read that? I think I just read that. Yep, sorry. Matthew 21, that's where he says, by what authority? Neither will I tell you uh, by what authority am I doing these things. And then let's go to the very last one, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. So we start at the beginning with the genealogy, the very first bit. Jesus' uh, authority is being established. Matthew's creating this case of who Jesus is. He is who he says he is, and he's got power, and he's got authority, and now he's wrapping up scripture here in Matthew, and many of you read this, just want to kind of tie all this together. He says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, and by the way, there's some cool stuff that relate Jesus to Moses, and uh, how Moses spoke from the mountain. Moses went up on the mountain to receive a word from God, the transfiguration, uh, different things. And anyway, here again, he goes up on the mountain where Jesus had told him to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, and this is where I want to land today and kind of tie all this together. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him, to Jesus. Wow. And then he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A specific command in what he's saying, that, that, that last little phrase, and surely I will be with you. I will be Emmanuel, God with us. He will be with us till the end of the age. He is with us. He's here this morning, and all authority has been given to him and through him to us to live an overcoming life. Amen? All authority. But the question is, and it's kind of hard to say, it's like, okay, we see Matthew, we can kind of track and say, okay, Matthew creates this picture, this defense of who Jesus is, and that Jesus, his authority is all-powerful, it's all authority, all, it's all there. So what? right? You got to ask the question, why did Matthew write the gospel? Why did he spend so much time talking about Jesus' authority? So what? Well, he captures it in that last sentence. He says, all authority is given, therefore go and make disciples, baptize, teach, 
And then the promise, Emmanuel, God will be with us. And this morning, I believe God wants us to know, and you may have heard it before, but he wants you to hear it again, that Jesus' authority, his power is amazing. He has the power to save and to forgive. It doesn't matter where you've been, no matter where, where, what you've seen, no matter what you've done, Jesus, his love is amazing. He has the power over nature. He has the power to lay down his life, the power to do miracles, the power over death, and he had the power of resurrection. We see it in Matthew. He was raised from the dead. And the point is, and Brennan, you can come, and the team, if you want to come, the point is, is that God is able to help us overcome. Through Jesus, through his word, we can overcome. I love the verse that says we overcome by the power of his blood, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's through Jesus, through his power, through his authority that's given to us. And now to kind of tie it all together, or at least try to. Why is it important to know God's word personally? So we won't be deceived. So we won't be twisted. So we won't be relying on some, what someone else says God's word is, like Eve did. But that we would know it personally. And I believe that God is challenging some of us this morning get back into God's word. Don't go another day dry and weary. You can be refreshed in God's word every day. It's our daily bread. It's the water of life. It's the breath of God. And it's for you. Digest it. It's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. The word of God, the sword, has power and authority over Satan. And it must be in our arsenal. It needs to be readily available on our hearts, in our minds. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, it needs to be on our lips. No matter where we go, is the word of God on your lips because that's what carries the power and the authority that Matthew is tracking through his scripture to prove that Jesus is all powerful he has all authority he says who he is who he says he is and nothing is too difficult for our God feel like I'm the only one excited about that. <laughs> There's nothing too difficult for our Savior. And He wants you to know that. And so this morning, the first Sunday of the month, we do something around here. We take prayer requests. And I believe the first thing that God wants to deal with our hearts is for us to search our own hearts and to realize that Christ's power, he has the power to save. He can save us from an eternity from hell. 
But I love it. Not only does he have the power to save us from hell, he has the power to forgive us. And I believe the moment we receive Christ, our sins are forgiven. And not only are they forgiven our past sins, Brenda and I were talking about this. This is, you know, theological, it's kind of deeper, but that even our future sins are covered by the blood. There's nothing you can do that will separate you from Christ. And if you haven't received Christ this morning, don't leave here this morning. Or if you're away from God and He's pricking your heart saying, come back to Him. Don't leave here without knowing Jesus. But on these prayer cards, we pray for people that are far away from the Lord too. And I want you to take your prayer card right where you are. If you need a pen, you can slip up here in a minute. And I want you to think of someone in your life that needs the Lord, that needs Christ's redeeming power to save them, to forgive them, and to put them on a different path in their lives. Family members. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a grandma or grandpa, aunt or uncle. It could be a neighbor. It could be a schoolmate. It could be your best friend. This morning, who would the Lord have you to pray for? And who would you ask the church for this month to pray and say, God, move in so-and-so's life. Who would you pray for this month? We want to pray with you and to trust God for his saving power, not only to happen this morning, but this month in the lives, through your lives. That's number one. But the second thing is when you get a picture of Christ's power and his authority for your circumstances, for the things that you're facing, we can bring those needs to a loving Father. We can bring our requests. We know, number one, that He hears us, but He answers our prayers. God is a God who answers prayer. And He wants to answer your prayers. But you know what it says in God's Word? It says to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. I'm going to ask this morning for you to think what is the greatest need that you have in your life in this season, for this week, for this month. And I'm going to ask that you put that need right down. What can we pray with you about? We take this serious. We pass these around the office and we make sure that we are lifting you up in prayer because there's power in prayer. And we're we're praying because God's word that establishes the power and the authority of Christ. That's who we're praying to. And that's why we can stand confidently and say, yes, God is going to work in our circumstances. He is going to heal. He is going to deliver. He is going to work in your finances and in your relationships and at work and at school. He is going to guide you, Gabby, in your future. He's not going to leave you high and dry. He's going to speak to you and he's going to make it clear. And if you need a physical touch, a healing, or anything else, put it on here. We're going to stand and we're going to believe for God's healing power to be at work in you and through you this morning and in this season. So I'm going to ask that you would take a moment to fill these prayer cards out. Put your name, date it. Today's date is June 
pray for this. But not only are we going to pray this month, but we're going to believe God this morning for the miraculous. We're going to pray and ask God to meet us right here in regards to our needs, in regards to the people that we're praying for salvation and for the people that we are praying for, uh, whether it's ourselves, whatever we're standing in needs of, or for our needs, we're asking God to move. And what I'm going to do is we're going to take just a moment here to fill these out. If you need to slip up and get a pen, we can, you'll have lots of time to do that. But we've planned for time at the end of the service today to meet God. God is here to meet you. Don't run off without meeting God. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring these requests before the Lord. Pastor Pete and I will be here to pray. Jeff and Ginger, if you want to come. Uh, Larry and Bonnie, you can come. Our elders, their wives. If you want specific prayer, we're going to be here kind of scattered. But what I'm also going to pray or believe that if you want us to pray with you, we will stand with you. We'll pray. We've got anointing oil and we'll, we'll pray as the team leads. But I'm going to ask every single person here to bring a request and to bring it to the altar and that you would spend a moment. If you want us to pray and agree with you, awesome. If not, just come, spend a moment at the altar and return to your seats and worship with the Lord. This morning is an opportunity for you to meet with a Heavenly Father that longs, He loves you. The word of the Lord this morning was He loves you and He wants to meet us here today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Seriously. Then let's respond. Why don't you lead us, Brendan? And uh, Jeff and Larry and, and your wives and uh, come. And as the Lord leads you, you fill these out. Bring those forward. And in a few moments, we'll have a final benediction. But this morning is all about you meeting with a God that loves you very much. If you need personal prayer, this is the time. Let's do it this morning. Bob, brother Bob, don't leave. I'm sorry, brother, I missed you. He's coming back. Uh, Bob and Michelle as well. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's fill these out. And let's worship. And let's bring these needs before the Lord. And if you need prayer, we're here to pray with you, to partner with you in any of these. Amen. God bless you.